As I said, this message brings us to the, uh, the end of our study of the book of Acts. And, and honestly, I could probably go back under a different title for the series and preach it all over again, and it would seem like brand new. Uh, we've, we've been at this so long. But as Luke closes out this book, he touches on four main themes that have been prevalent throughout the book. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't say, here are four th- main themes that have been prevalent through the book, but if, if you look at these last verses as we will, then it becomes evident that these are four themes that have been prevalent throughout the entire book. I want us to begin reading tonight in verse 11. Now remember, uh, they had been shipwrecked on the Isle of Melita. Uh, We would know it today as the island of Malta. And uh, they've been there now for three months. And so the weather is cleared, it's better. It says in verse 11 that after three months we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. And landing at Syracuse, that would not be Kansas, nor would it be New York, we tarried there three days. And from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Putiolia. I worked on that all day. Putilioi. No, no, no. Wherever that place was. Pittsburgh, I don't know. Where we found brethren who were, desi- who des- were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from thence... When the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as API, Forum, and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was offered to dwell dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go. Because there was no cause of death in me. Remember the end of chapter 26? When he had witnessed to uh, King Agrippa. And then Agrippa and some others left and had this little side meeting. And Agrippa said, this guy has done nothing wrong. I would have let him go. But he has appealed unto Caesar. And and that's what Paul is, is referring to here. But when the Jews spake against it. I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had 
ought to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you. Because that for the hope of Israel, I am bound with his chain. And they said unto him, We neither receive letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, would be the sect of Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they, they departed, after that Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross. Remember, at the heart of every problem is what? Problem of the heart. And their eyes are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed. Whoops, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Again, there are four popular themes throughout the book of Acts that are also seen in these closing verses of, of Luke's letter. This one isn't one of them. But it's certainly something that we can rejoice in. And it's this tonight, church. God keeps His Word. Look again at verse 16. Let's not just gloss over what it says. And when we came to Rome. I've showed you this a couple of weeks ago from chapter 23. Remember when the Lord said, For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. That's what, that's what God told him, Paul, I'm not done with you. As you preached and, and taught the things of the kingdom in Jerusalem, 
He said, you will, you must teach and preach those things in Rome also. And sure enough, we come to the end of the book. And now, after much trial and much tribulation, Paul finds himself indeed in Rome. And you read what I read. He testified of the same things in Rome that he testified of in Jerusalem, just like God said he would. Aren't you thankful tonight that we serve a God who keeps his word? So let's get into these uh, as quickly as we can. The, the first main theme of the book that Luke touches on is providence. Providence is the way God guides us. If I were to define providence, it would be this way. Foresight or making provision beforehand. With reference to God, we're speaking of His universal governance of all things. From the creation of the world to its daily maintenance. There are Numerous examples of God's providence in the Bible. Some of, of these we touched on uh, last Wednesday night. For example, Joseph's story. Though filled with much irony, it is also full and overflowing with the providence of God. After his brother sold him into slavery, hoping to do uh, him harm, that very act is what actually propelled Joseph into greater success as a ruler in Egypt. It was his leadership during the time of, of famine that God, that God used him to save the Egyptians from starvation. But if you know the story, God also used that as a means of reuniting Joseph with his, with his father and his brothers. And though Joseph did not use the word providence, it's certainly what he meant when he said this, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. That is a definition and an explanation and an illustration of God's providence. Now, church, understand this, that God did not put those evil intentions into the hearts of Joseph's brothers. Okay, understand that. But he did use their evil as a means of accomplishing his will. He did the very same thing with Judas Iscariot. His providence overrode Judas's sin. You remember the story, God allowed Judas to lie and to deceive and to cheat and to steal and to finally betray Jesus into the hands of his enemies. And nobody could argue that all of that was great wickedness and God was displeased. Yet at the same time, all of Judas's plotting and scheming led to a greater good, and that was the salvation of mankind. 
Jesus had to die at the hands of the Romans in order to become a sacrifice for sin. If Jesus had not been crucified, then the truth tonight is this, we would still be in our sins. I mean, how did did God get Christ to the cross? He did it through providentially allowing Judas the freedom to perform a, a series of wicked acts. Then I want you to look at Luke 22 and verse 22. Jesus said this, And truly, the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And here's what I want you to note. I want you to note that Jesus teaches both the sovereignty of God and truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined We understand the Bible says that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. I mean, his death on the cross was already determined, and so we we see the sovereignty of God, but then also in the last part, we see the responsibility of man, where it says, woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. So there is a balance between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. And then we get in the book of Acts, and and there's providence all throughout the book of Acts. And the one that really came to mind when I was giving that some thought was the story of Philip, an Ethiopian eunuch. There was a man, an Ethiopian, in a chariot, and he had a scroll open, and he was reading this scroll. And if you remember, the Spirit of God directed Philip to that man. And Philip asked him, he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? And Philip crawls up in the chariot. And the Bible says that he began to preach unto this man, Jesus. And he began to read Isaiah chapter 53, which is where the scroll was opened to. And this man was reading about the Lamb of God who who would be slain and wouldn't say anything about it. And he'd be uh, bruised for our iniquities and all of that. He was reading through that. And it says that Peter, or excuse me, Philip preached unto him Jesus. And folks, listen, it wasn't, it wasn't that that eunuch that day was lucky that Philip came along. This wasn't a, a matter of fate. You know how Philip got to that man? He got there by the providence of God. And there are other examples certainly that we could that we could think of god used persecution to get the gospel out of jerusalem we read of saul's providential meeting with god on the road to damascus and then when when paul was arrested in jerusalem god's providence compelled the romans to protect him from the the jewish religious leaders we just a couple of weeks ago studied about the horrific storm that God used to blow the ship off course that Paul was sailing in so we could end up in Rome like we read tonight. God's providence is seen yet again in our text. Let me show it to you. After their shipwreck, there are a couple of acts of providence here. After their shipwreck, Paul 
and all of those on board the ship, we just read it, they stayed in Malta for three months waiting for the, the winter weather to subside. And if you read the closing verses of Acts 27, you learn that the ship that they sailed in on, the ship that had run aground, had been beaten to pieces, had been pounded by the surf, uh, and, and it was demolished, and it was unusable. But in his providence, God provided another ship. And it just so happened to be a ship of Alexandria, like Paul got on in, in chapter 27. And it just so happened that they had enough room on board for all 276 passengers that were sailing with Paul. Luke also highlights God's providence by including information that the ship's sign was that of Castor and Pollux. Why is that significant? Because Castor and Pollux were the sons of Zeus in Greek mythology, and they were viewed as the gods who protected sailors. You can bet Luke and Paul and the other believer, believers on that ship, they knew it wasn't going to be those two false gods who would keep them safe. They knew that it would be the one true God. And then this is providential. Luke mentions the south wind in verse 13. That's significant in that uh, regime was located in the Strait of, of Messina, a passage through the strait required a strong south wind to push the ships through. And it just so happened that that very day, the wind was blowing from the south. Listen, that is not luck. It's not, it just so happened. Church, that is the providence of God. God blew the wind, which moved them at the time and in the direction that they needed to go. I think it's more than ironic, it's providential, that when Paul arrived in Rome, his case hadn't been transferred from Jerusalem. And you read what I read in verse 21, they said, we, don't even, we haven't even heard anything. We don't know anything about anything. That's not ironic. That is providential. Because think of all the time that Paul had at that moment to preach to them. You think it was accidental? No, God planned that. Now, I want you to take just a second to think of how God's providence has worked in your own life. I can point to a number of things in, in my life. A couple of things came to mind this afternoon. Years ago, Katie and I were counseling with and helping a, a wife who was in a seriously, serious, one of the most serious abusive relationships I've, I've ever been privy to. It was, it was incredibly abusive. And then we lost track of her. We lost touch with her. 
A few years later, she reaches out to us. And we hadn't heard from her in, in a couple of years. And she reaches out to us and begins explaining to us how the Domestic Violence Center was creating a new program. And she wanted Katie and I to be the first people that she recruited for that program because we had been so helpful to her. And so for all of these years, I don't know, 15 or 16 years now, we have been serving the Domestic Violence Center as police response advocates. You've heard us use that as PRAs. We've, I don't know, it's, it's maybe 17 years now. We've been volunteering and working with, with the Domestic Violence Center. Well, here's the point that's providential. It was through our work at the Domestic Violence Center that Katie and I met Hope Alvarez. And it was by God's providence that Katie walked into the Domestic Violence Center one day and could tell that Hope was really struggling. And so she just reached out to her there in the hallway and Hope began crying. She had just lost her husband. And Katie prayed with her that day in the hall. And Hope's testimony was this. You know, people at my church, nobody has said anything. Nobody's done anything like that for me. And if all the people at that church are like that, then that's where I want to go. And so she came. And then it was just a hop, skip, and a jump to her apartment where we opened the scriptures and she got saved. That's not luck. It's not fate. That is the providence of God. God put us there and put Katie there and put hope there in an effort to, to reach her. I've often spoke, so I'll not tell the story again, I've often spoke of my providential meeting with Marlon Meisenheimer in the parking lot at 8th in Kansas. God led me to pray with him and they came and, and you know the rest of that story. But over the last couple of days, this is, I, was, I recounted this to a group of pastors that uh, I preached to Monday night and again on Tuesday in Tulsa uh, on the subject of church planting. Remember with Alfred King, one of our church planters, uh, was invited to be there as well. And so him and I got to share the platform on Tuesday. It was a blessing. And I related to them the story of how in 2006, God spoke to my heart at a national church planning conference in Oklahoma City. And though he didn't speak to me audibly that night, he might as well have because I heard him just as clear when he, when he told me, if you will, that our church needed to get more hands-on involved in church planning. Not just helping guys, we needed to have our own guys. And so I came back, I shared that burden with the men. On my way back that night, I called Tyler, he was still a student at Heartland, and I said, son, this is what God's spoke to me about tonight, and this is what I believe God is leading us to do. Would you pray with me that we would know who should be our first church planter? Well, as it just so happened, with Alfred and Tyler had a discussion the week before where Brother Alfred expressed to him his desire to start a church in Oro Valley, Arizona. But 
He didn't feel like it was the time for him to go. He really wanted to go somewhere and serve and get some hands-on ministry experience and then go. And so Brother Tyler calls me a couple days later. said, Dad, I think I got your guy. And the rest is history. That's the providence of God. And I want you to think about some moments in your life where God brought the right people into your life at the right time who maybe spoke the right things into your life. That's God's providence. It's not luck. It's not faith. It's God leading. Let's move quickly to the second theme of Acts that Luke touches on, and it's fellowship. That's the way that God strengthens us. Christianity is a community of faith, listen, that is intended to be lived out with others. We studied this at the beginning of our study. You'll remember that that right after the day of Pentecost, they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and what, church? And fellowship. He goes on to say that they spent time in each other's homes, breaking bread and praying. Listen, fellowship is the way God strengthens us as a church family. As you read throughout the, 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 and study the book of Acts, you'll discover that seldom, if ever, did anyone do anything by themselves. It just wasn't that kind of church culture. Throughout the missionary journeys of, of Paul, he was with men like Barnabas and Silas and others. In our text, Luke recounts how when they came to that town again, Pittsburgh, we'll just call it Pittsburgh. It frustrates me because I, I could, that just rolled off my tongue all afternoon. Just like regium. That doesn't look like regium. That's how you pronounce it. And I'm not, it just frustration. But anyway, when they got there, they found some other Christians who invited them to stay with them for seven days. That was in verse 14. Then in verse 15, when the Christians in Rome heard that Paul and the others were on their way, Some of them traveled the 43 miles to API. Others of them arrived at the three taverns, which is closer to Rome. So what do we learn here? Maybe it's this. If you want to enjoy some good Christian fellowship, you ought to rendezvous at the bar. Or maybe that's not what is taught there. That was... That was a location. It wasn't like three drinking establishments, okay? But I want you to notice what this fellowship did for Paul. Look at it, church, in verse 15 again, Acts chapter 28. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as uh, API, Forum, and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, look at this church, he thanked God and took courage that's what fellowship is about 
That's about spiritually, emotionally, and physically strengthening each other as believers. Listen, this modern notion that you can be a good Christian and not belong to a local church is ridiculous. It's absurd. It is completely foreign to New Testament Christianity. You don't find that taught anywhere. Significant spiritual growth cannot happen apart from Christian fellowship in a local body of Christ, just like Fellowship Baptist Church. It can't happen. That's why church membership is so important. That's why we've got 15 or so people across the way here in our next steps class learning the importance of church membership and why they need to take that step. It's like our wedding vows. We commit to each other for better or worse. And when we commit to a church by the way of membership, we're doing so for better or for worse. Brother Tatter talked to a man recently who used to go to a church, not, not even in this community, but um, he saw something happen that he didn't think should happen by somebody who was a leader in that church, and, and so he just quit going altogether. And I love what, what uh, Pastor Tyler did. He looked at him and he said, well, listen. He said, if you get some idea that Fellowship Baptist Church is perfect, you'll be sorely disappointed because we are not. We said this many, many times. When you join Fellowship Baptist Church, you're joining a group of sinners who do things that sinners do because we all still have to fight the flesh. And so your pastor will disappoint you your co-pastor will disappoint you. Your ministry staff will disappoint you. Your Bible class leader will disappoint you. The person sitting on the other side of the church will disappoint you because we're sinners. But we join for better or for worse. I like the better, better. When one of us celebrates, we all should celebrate. When one of us mourns, we should all mourn together. So the second theme in Acts 28 is that is a fellowship, which is the way God strengthens us. And then here's the third one. It's evangelism. It's the way God expands us. I told that group of pastors, I think it was Monday night when I preached. I said this, if the book of Acts is anything, if it's anything, it is a constant indictment of mere maintenance Christianity. It's a constant goad and encouragement and stimulation to fan the flame of evangelism. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And from start to finish, this book of Acts is about reaching the lost. 
And then I shared with him this quote, we are always in danger of slipping into a maintenance mentality in the church where we focus on maintaining our religious club and preserving its sacred traditions and we forget about the lost. Church, listen. We can never forget about the lost. Somebody that comes into our fellowship and they sit in these chairs for any length of time ought to come to this conclusion very quickly. These people are pretty serious about the gospel. These people are pretty serious about people getting saved. Years ago, years ago, when Landis, our former pastor, visited in the home of a family that had gotten crossways, and he said, you know, so what's the deal? And here was the answer. Soul saving, soul saving, soul saving. That's all we hear over there is soul saving. Well, soul saving. Because that's what it's about. It's not about anything other than reaching lost people. It's not, we ought to care for our members. I get that. And we ought to, we, we ought to pray and we ought to look after people but listen to me church that is not the main purpose of the church the main purpose of the church is missions not maintenance that's why we're going to come together at the end of this month for our 53rd annual faith promise missions conference because we are serious about reaching the lost, not just in liberal in our area, not just in America, not just in North America, but all over the globe. And you cannot read hardly a page in the book of Acts where the theme is not evangelism. I mean, for crying out loud, you don't even get into the book of Acts eight verses. And you read this. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be what, church? Witnesses. Witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Listen, it's not by accident that those were the last words that Jesus spoke audibly before he left this earth. Do you think missions was important to him? Do you think evangelism was important to him? Imagine all, all of the things that he could have talked about with his final words. This is going to be okay, I'm coming back. He could, have, he could have encouraged them that way. He could have encouraged them any number of ways. But he chose his last words to be recorded in his word. Words of evangelism. Go reach people. And that's what we see in the book of Acts over and over and over again. In the first part of the book, the emphasis, the focus is on Peter preaching the gospel to the Jews. In Jerusalem, by the way, if you study it, here's what you'll find. They preached it in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria. Hmm. There shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea 
and in Samaria. And then you come to the life of Paul. Paul carried it to the uttermost part of the earth as he went to Asia Minor and on into Europe. And I'll tell you tonight what I told those men yesterday is that every one of us are saved tonight because Paul took the gospel to Europe. Matter of fact, and I'll not preach my, it's a two-part message I preached like this week, but I'll, I'll not preach it to you. But the bottom line is, Paul and Barnabas launched out of, they were commissioned out of the church at Antioch. And so if you're here tonight and you're saved, you can trace your salvation all the way back to Barnabas and Saul and their obedience to the call of God on their life. Because here's the truth, every one of us are saved because of church planning in some form or fashion. If you got saved as a result of Fellowship Baptist Church because Weldon Avery came here in 19, the, the early mid-1950s and started knocking on doors, preaching the book, reaching people, and on November the 13th of 1955, the Fellowship Baptist Mission was organized into the Fellowship Baptist Church with nine charter members, and I stand here tonight saved because somebody came to Liberal Kansas and planted a church. Wherever you were saved, because somebody planted a church there and Christians met there and you're saved because of that. So evangelism is important to the heart of God. I mean, Paul preached. He preached in Jewish synagogues. He preached in pagan temples. He preached from prison cells and cargo ships. He preached to military commanders and commoners, nobility and nobodies. God's plan for expanding his family is evangelism. As if to remind us of that one more time, he gives us one last reminder in this book. Look at it. There in verses, uh, you can get over there, the last couple of verses there. Paul dwelt two whole years there and hired out preaching, preaching the kingdom of God. The book of Acts opens with evangelism. The book of Acts closes with evangelism. And one of the main themes from start to finish is the theme of evangelism, which is the way he expands us. Look in, in verse 24. When Paul got there, as I said, they, they didn't have a clue about anything that had gone on before. They hadn't gotten the, the, uh, the narratives or they hadn't gotten the, the court documents. And they, they didn't have any idea what was going on. And so they said this, but we, we want to know more about this sect. We've been hearing a lot about it, and what we've been hearing has not been good. So we'd like to hear from you. So they set up a time, and they got together. And, and look what it says in verse 24. And some believed, and some believed not. And that's the result of all evangelism. Some believe, and some don't believe. But guess what? That's not our responsibility. That's not on us. Our responsibility is to witness, to warn, 
God's responsibility to win. Listen, it's because of evangelism that we have church-wide outreaches before Friend Day and before Easter. It's because of evangelism that we put a box there with this cross beside it and ask, we're asking you to fill out cards of people of names that you've invited to our Easter service either at 9 o'clock or at 11 o'clock in a couple of weeks. That's because of evangelism. That's not so we, we can, when, when our preacher friends call us or text us on Monday after Easter, hey, how'd the day go? We can say, ah, we had 700, we had 800. That's not the purpose of that. The purpose of that is to hopefully save. You know, praise God, we had X amount of people come to know the Lord on Easter. Why? Because evangelism is important. You know why you need to be in a fellowship Bible class for the next three weeks? Because the study is on evangelism. It's on how to talk to people about Jesus. How to get past the, the fears and the, 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 the obstacles that are there and, and, and just learn how to be a better evangelist. And then real quick, let's, let's touch on the last theme here in uh, Acts 28. That was really a theme throughout the whole book. And that is faithfulness, which is the way God sustains us. Listen, you've read what I've read. You've studied what I've studied. You've seen what I've seen. All throughout the book of Acts, God's people faced insurmountable obstacles and horrendous persecution. Peter and Paul were both kicked out of towns and they suffered death threats. And if you remember that, the, the, the one time when Paul was stoned and thrown outside and the Bible says he was left for dead. They were imprisoned for their faith. But watch this church. They stayed faithful to the Lord. In chapter 7, Stephen was murdered for preaching about Jesus. It would be gross, but the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, crushed his head with stones. But he was faithful to the end. When Paul and his missionary companions Traveled all across Asia Minor. Many, listen, many more people rejected their message than accepted it. But in spite of their apparent failure, they pressed on. Now as Luke concludes his story, he pictures Paul on house arrest. Chained to a Roman soldier. Awaiting his trial. He was in that condition for two whole years. He'd already been imprisoned in Caesarea for two years prior to that, and now he's got to go through all of that again. But note what he did. Again, he preached the kingdom of God. He taught those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. It was also during this time that he wrote what we call the prison epistles. Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. So I think it's providential 
that our final image of Paul is one of complete faithfulness. Complete faithfulness. Well, Pastor, what, what in the world kept Paul going? I believe in part it was the fact he knew there was joy in the journey. Beyond that, I believe he was convinced that there was a crown of righteousness awaiting him at the finish line. And that's true for all of us. It's true for all of us. So as difficult as life can be sometimes, as disappointing as life can be sometimes, as hard and as difficult, I encourage you with all of my heart tonight, to hang in there, fight the good fight, endure the obstacles, persevere through the pain, finish the race. I promise you, you will not regret it.